Welcome to the podcast of Grace and Peace Church. These are the teachings from our Sunday gatherings. We are supported by listeners like you who find value in the mission of discipleship. If you'd like to give financially, check out our website, our Instagram, or our Facebook for the giving tab. And thank you for partnering with us and keeping the mission alive. Grace and peace to you. And good morning. Have you ever thought about the peculiar ways, or maybe I should say the particular ways, that you practice your faith? Or have you given much thought to the way that we, all together at GP, live out or act out our beliefs? You don't have to answer. These are just like rhetorical questions, but I do have a few of them. So let me ask this. Did you ever wonder how our Christ following compares to the original disciples, how they followed Jesus in his time, or what he even meant for it to be? So if you've been with us for a while, most of you have, you know that Nate and I have been preaching from the lectionary, and that's this public document. It's been guiding our messages and thousands of other local churches It's been guiding us through the Gospel of Matthew this year and then supporting those passages like relevant prophecies and history and letters and prayers. And for these last few weeks in Matthew, it's had me thinking about my Christ journey and how accurate or authentic or not my my concept of Christ following might be. So like... What did it mean to be one of the first disciples? What did disciples even do all day? Like they're this diverse group of strangers and brothers, and they came together just because they each said yes to an invitation, just go follow Jesus around. What was that like? And in what ways, if any, do or should their lives inform our lives. So I want to start off today by just taking a minute to consider what we've heard from Matthew's account of the gospel, along with what we know about disciples and disciple-making from Mark. So we know this from Mark. First, a guy called Andrew hears about Jesus from John the baptizer. Then one day, Jesus is walking by, and John points him out to Andrew, saying, look, the Lamb of God. Andrew responded. Immediately, he ran to tell his brother Simon, so that's Peter, we have found the Messiah. That must have been a wild conversation. So from there, Matthew adds to the narration, saying that Jesus saw Andrew and Peter fishing together, and he called out to them, follow me. Those guys dropped their nets, left, and followed Jesus. Next were James and John. Same deal. They were fishing. They heard, follow me, and then they were following too. And then John's gospel fills in the rest of the story. Jesus spotted Philip and said, what? Follow me. Off went Philip, except that first Philip went and informed Nathanael, who said, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. And then there's this sort of wrap-up in Luke. Luke writes, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray. 
he spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. So then we get Simon, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and then also Judas Iscariot. So it's evident that there is this pool of disciples from which 12 apostles were chosen, and we can spot similarities in their stories. We can infer that loads of people were hanging around Jesus. They would have heard something about him in advance from their culture, their history, their families, their ancient Jewish faith, and from John, the prophet of their time. And I think we can safely assume that they were all invited to follow Jesus and learn from him. And that's what they did. And maybe more than a few of them made sure that their brothers were also present to receive the invitation. So a big group of followers formed, and then a small core was developed at the same time. But what did they do? And what were they entitled to in return? And that's the question that I want to come back to. Do you know what I think Christ following was? It was following Christ. Like, it is following Christ. It was hanging out and learning from him and then imitating him. But those early disciples were just out there at first following Jesus around. And sometimes Jesus would stop on a hill and he would talk about sheep and shepherds. And some days Jesus would sit on a beach and he would talk about fishing. Other days... Jesus would feed people. Lots of times, he healed people. He made space for people. He noticed people and cared for them in real time and in tangible ways. Moments with him were life-changing and powerful. More than once, the disciples lost track of Jesus, which tells me that sometimes a day in the life meant actively trying to find Jesus and get close to him again. But it seems to me that all those daily lessons were just dependent on where Jesus was walking and whatever was available for him to look at. Like the context didn't really matter. And I love that because everything, everywhere, all the time related directly to the kingdom of God, to what the kingdom of God was like and how a God-centered life was achievable and a desirable goal that would benefit all creation equitably, immediately, in the present and always. How was that kind of storytelling and teaching possible? How could every hill or lamb or fish or stone or vine be an apt metaphor for the work and plan of God? because it was all evidence of God's handiwork. Every bit of it, every leaf, every feather was inspired by, like given life and form by the creator for his pleasure to his glory. The whole earth and everything in it is a divine creation from which all of humanity benefits and from which every person might respond with tremendous, even overwhelming joy and gratitude and some kind of return toward God in thanksgiving. 
Every person benefits from God's creation. Some respond with gratitude. Some respond with their lives and adopt a practical kingdom of God ethic, the way of Jesus. Others have very little regard for creation and even less for its creator. But all of creation was given to humanity to steward and enjoy. Every person was tasked with its caretaking. Every person benefits. Some respond with worship, followership, and caretaking. Some don't. But to what are any of them entitled? Nothing. In the kingdom of God, entitlement is not a thing. So let's listen to what Jesus has to say about that. This is from Matthew 21, it's 33 to 46. Jesus said, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. But the tenant seized his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other slaves, more than the first, and they treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. And then there's this question. Now, when the owner of the vineyard comes... What will he do to those tenants? And this is Jesus speaking. They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyards to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. Jesus replies back now in this conversation with listeners and Pharisees, Have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parable, they realized that it was speaking, he was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowds because they regarded him as a prophet. Entitlement is not a thing, not in the kingdom of God. So let's look at the first few lines from Matthew again. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a fence around it. He dug a wine press in it. He built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. In this parable, God is the landowner, the Lord of the land. His rights and authority were established outside of the story, and they're presented as a point of fact in the story. And that would have been acceptable to the hearing people in Israel. And it would have come from this, from Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, or from Psalms. The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, the world and those who live in it for he has founded it on the seas and established it on the rivers. Now, 
I appreciate that if you don't accept the premise of God as the author of creation, then this argument will not hold for you. But if you do, then keep tracking with me because this parable that Jesus uses to talk about rights and indebtedness and ownership is really poignant. So I quoted just those couple lines of scripture to convey the truth about God's absolute rights to claim ownership of the vineyard, to collect the fruits of the vineyard, and to send his representatives safely into the vineyard. Jesus often referred to scripture. So in this parable, Jesus actually was quoting Isaiah, who quoted God, as though the Lord were singing a poem to Jesus, his beloved. And this is Isaiah 5. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones. He planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewn out a wine vat in it. He expected it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. So through Isaiah, God let Israel overhear this conversation within himself. A love song, he says, to the Lord of the land concerning the nation that had dedicated itself to him. So remember, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. So now we want to notice these specific parallels that Jesus was drawing. So first is the vineyard's owner. The same God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob who promised land to Israel and who made a covenant with them to ensure their safekeeping. That was part one. And then with that is the vineyard itself. And that's Israel. That's the holy nation formed to be a people of God. So then second is this historical reality of the landowners, and that's God's divine care of the vineyard. That was setting the fence around it, clearing the stones from it. And then third is the placement of the workers in the field and entrusting its abundance to their care. And that refers to Israel's primary mission to be a light to the nations, drawing and pointing all people toward the God of compassion and mercy. And then there's this. In each story, setting a watchtower in the vineyard which is a symbol of protection, a place of refuge, a height from which the guardians of the people could stand watch, concerned for the encroachment of enemies, but also expectant and ready to announce the return of the rightful owner. So Jesus and Isaiah each painted like these really lovely pastoral pictures, but then each tale turned. When Isaiah spoke about the outcome of the vineyard, he said this in reference to the Lord of hosts. He expected it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. Who or what are wild grapes? Well, Jesus told us that then through his parable. Wild grapes were those tenants of the land to whom the land was left in trust with whom that relationship was established, but who had betrayed their benefactor. They beat his representatives, and they killed his son. 
And of course, that's a not so veiled prophecy to the rejection and death that Jesus was about to endure. But why? Why did the tenants behave that way? In the apparent absence of the landowner, after having worked in the field that was given to them to care for, and which they could freely draw and prosper and share, the tenants grew entitled. Those wild grapes were not content with their provisions or with the good land from which to thrive or with the hedge of protection surrounding them or with the presence of the watchtower or with their fair share. No, the wild grapes were greedy and resentful people of people that grew to believe that their effort in the land afforded them rights beyond their share. And Jesus tells us plainly, those groups were the religious elite. Because remember this, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parable, they realized that he was speaking about them. So how did the chief priests and the Pharisees get so far afield from Christ, their Messiah. Simply put, I think they just stopped following him around. They might have been walking like super narrow path, but it was one of their own making. It was one of carved out by rules and rituals and self-righteousness, but it was certainly a detour from the path that Jesus was walking. Remember, when Jesus said, follow me, to all of the people that would become his disciples, he led them to places where they could watch and listen and learn his ways. And by walking in line with Jesus, they learned that his ways were all about care and compassion, about handing out food and providing health care, about respecting people and welcoming strangers, about praying for enemies and wiping out debt. His ways, you know, said this this morning, about justice and mercy and humility. And participation in his ways were never about glory or gain. The only person in either story who had any right of glory or gain, and that is of inheritance, was Jesus, Son of the Most High. Now, it is true that by grace, Jesus has established a covenant with people of faith that they might share in his inheritance if they are unified in him. That is, if they are following him. But that's a gift. It's not a right due to any believer. So I teach in a K-12 school. Last week, I was walking across campus, and a a kindergarten teacher is like, moving a line of children from like point A to point B across the campus. About 15 of them, doing great, totally getting it right. At least one of them definitely was not. So there's this little girl, and I'll call her Emma, and she's, she's off to the side. She's twirling, she's looking at the sky, she's looking at the ground, the line is over here, and the teacher said, Emma, you're in your own line. You're in your own line. Now let me ask you this. Can you simultaneously follow Jesus and be in your own line? I don't think you can. You're either following him or not. You're a disciple of Christ 
or not. And if you are following Jesus, like if you're in line with him, aligned to him, you're walking in his footsteps and behaving in ways that reflect his own. You can't be like a wild grape and you can't be like Emma. If you are a follower, you willfully subscribe to the truth that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all those who live in it. And so you also love the ones in it, your neighbors. And you care for the world because Jesus showed you how and because he cared first. So by now, Jesus has been away from the vineyard for a while, but his disciples are still out there being love. Good. That was the plan. The parable tells us that it was the plan all along to leave the field to the workers for a time. And that's been happening since the first century. But guess what? Jesus is still doing his part too. He's still loving the disciples and everyone else. He's keeping a watch over you and everyone. And not because of your work or because of your choices. He just gives love. That's grace. And it's amazing. You're not entitled to it, but it has been poured out for you. And what a fitting display this is. It's a free gift from the Lord of the land. And it's been poured out on you, on your neighbors, on Emma, on the Pharisees, because maybe one day they'll get in line too. If you were here a couple weeks ago, you know they'd get a snow cone. So we're not entitled to anything, but we are graciously and mercifully blessed by Jesus. That's all we need, right? The Hebrew word dayenu means it would have been sufficient. Jesus is enough. And yet we have homes, food, friends, family, purpose, and hope. Oh my gosh, we are tenants in God's kingdom for whom the very life of Christ was given. Dayenu. That would have been sufficient. And yet we have been given so much more. Like this, Jesus has also invited us to share in his inheritance. What? How do we respond to that? Like wild grapes? God forbid. Can we be grateful people instead? Like let's be wildly grateful people. When Nate got word that our lease was being terminated here. It took a minute to process the change and just consider this simple fact. We have no right to this space. For a season, we were graciously and generously enabled to rent this building. And look what beauty has grown here and what fruit has been produced. The word has been faithfully preached here Scripture has been studied. Prayers have been offered and answered. Children have been dedicated. Babies have been born into the community and are about to. <laughs> Friendships have been formed and deepened. We remained intact through COVID. 
We've been able to remain supportive of brothers and sisters in Haiti. We fostered a relationship with lived experiences so that we can help in the community in Oceanside. We've just determined to send and support Bailey on a teaching mission in Thailand. Like I think we've been living in line with Jesus since we've been here. God forgive us and correct us if we do twirl off to the side. I think we've acted in one accord to follow Jesus around and imitate him. And I hope that we've done justice to the call of the disciples. So yeah, let's praise God for our time in this vineyard. It's been incredible. And yes, we can be really grateful people. And let's press on giving thanks, because after next week, we plan to follow him to a new field. And let's be grateful that in that vineyard off Coast Highway, we will also know the Lord's protection and provision. And we'll also share and expect to enjoy good fruit there. And I believe it will be in abundance if we follow him there. Like really align with him, I trust that our path will be sure. And we'll be entitled to what? And nothing. Absolutely nothing, but what a joy it will be to be a part of the work that he'll be doing. So I just want to close today calling on you again. You're going to have to speak up because the kids aren't in here to shout it. But I want to just close with, like, gratitude and thanksgiving. So if this time in this space over these years has brought you any joy, can you just take a minute and credit God? And would you be so bold as to do it out loud? Friendships? Yeah. Community? Peace. Peace. Oh, that was amazing. <laughs> Graces and pieces. I'm grateful for a church that followed rules during COVID. Hmm. I'm grateful for our leadership. Thank you for all you've done. Oh, no, it's just like a big hug. <laughs> I'm grateful for the people that serve so faithfully and quietly, like Andy, people that have been pouring coffee. There are four of you here. Thankful for our kids. I'm thankful they fixed a playground that we're not going to play on anymore. Like, good for them. I'm thankful that another church needed a building because that means that their community is growing too. I'm thankful that generosity is being extended to a new group and that we get to go to an amazing art space that we have loved from a distance anyway. Grateful for new beginnings. Ah, yeah, that's a good thought. New beginnings. Because that's a group we haven't chatted to yet, right? That's a transit center. We were like, off the bus. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll close with that let me just pray over us we'll say our benediction I hope we do go out super thankful super grateful nothing but um, just looking back and being like that, that was great what else 
super expectant. So rejoice in knowing that we never walk alone. Know the grace and peace of Christ walking beside us, guiding and protecting us. Ah, watchtower and offense. Share this comfort with one another and feel his presence each moment of each day. We'll see you one more time next week to pack it up. Amen.